Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart from the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may mutually encourage each other by each other's faith. I do not want you to become unaware, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is, that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Uh, I'm very thankful for the privilege of um, being invited here to preach again today. Uh, as Scott mentioned, uh, I've had the privilege of taking a number of uh, services here uh, in the last, uh, well no, we've been back in Geelong since 2010 so it was well before then. But thank you Scott. Um, uh, you may wonder why I've chosen uh, to preach on the section that I have today. It wasn't that I had an understanding that you were going to start on uh, a series of sermons on Romans, but um, I have been uh, preaching a series in this new congregation that we've started uh, which I have entitled Maintaining a Gospel Focus. And uh, this is really the eighth sermon in that series. Uh, as I was saying earlier, I don't like doing reruns. Some people think, oh, well, he's just a visiting preacher. He'll do something he's done before. Well, in a sense, I have. But when Scott asked me to come here, uh, I had just that previous Sunday uh, prepared and preached this sermon. It's a new one. Uh, we, we open the scriptures again and again, and uh, I've been in the ministry for many, many years, and we find new things appearing all the time. Uh, new truths, truths that we say, well, look, I've read that before, but how did I miss that? So um, this is um, 
this is what I would say is something that's been prepared recently. Um, maintaining a gospel focus is the theme, and uh, uh, it's uh, the only theme, really. Uh, what else is there when the chips are down? When all is said and done, I wrote a tract entitled When All Is Said and Done, and uh, when all is said and done, all that matters is our relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm focusing on the verses 16, 17 and 18, I suppose, of um, Romans 1, page 796 of your Bibles. If you have your Bibles there, it'd be great to have it open at that point, page 796. I'm not going to go into every phrase, every word that's there. I just want to highlight a few of the themes that I see in that section. Um, I'm going to read verses 16, 17 and 18 again. Uh, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In these words, the apostle is uh, setting forth what I understand to be the heart and soul of the Christian message, the gospel of our Lord Jesus. There's no greater theme. Uh, Paul's whole life was transformed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We surely are well aware of his uh, conversion and his meeting with the uh, risen and ascended Lord Jesus on that um, road to Damascus recorded in the book of Acts a few times. Uh, countless millions bear testimony to the grace of God in the gospel. The undeserved favour of God poured out in such abundance upon unworthy people like you and me. I want you to listen to what Martin Luther wrote in 1545. Uh, this, as many of you would know, is the uh, this year is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, 1517 was the date when Martin Luther nailed his thesis, 95 thesis, to the door of that castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, uh, which I suppose um, he was nailing his colours to the mast, really, and it was the commencement of that great work, which was the reforming work of the, uh, of the church, getting back to scripture, getting back to grace alone, getting back to faith alone, Christ alone, uh, to the glory of God alone. And uh, in 1545, which was the year before Luther's death, he was writing the preface to um, his publication uh, written in Latin. So he's writing the preface to it. And his mind went back to the time of his, his conversion to Christ. Of course, Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic monk uh, lecturing in the book of Romans at this point, uh, in the, the late uh, in 1516, 1517, and uh, his mind went back to the, his conversion to Christ as he was writing this preface to his Latin works, and he said it all began with this chapter, Romans chapter one. It all began there, and then he added, verse 17 deeply troubled me. Verse 17, because verse 17 says. As Paul writes it, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. He said, that troubled me greatly. No matter what I did, 
No matter how hard I tried, no matter uh, what self-denial I engaged in, the justice or the righteousness of God always condemned me. He goes on to say that in the Latin uh, translation, the word justice seemed to be coming out again and again rather than the word righteousness. But he said, I felt very much condemned by this biblical phrase, the justice of God or the righteousness of God. And then Martin Luther goes on to say, um, uh, I began to hate the righteousness of God until, until. Well, until when? He said, until I saw for the first time that the righteousness that God demands is a righteousness that God provides in the gospel. Do you understand that? The righteousness that God demands of us is the very righteousness which is provided for us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And he said, upon seeing that, it was like the opening of the gates of paradise. And Luther's whole life and outlook were changed. And so like uh, Paul in chapter 1, verse 1, Luther became a servant of Christ. And that's what Paul says in that first verse. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And Paul, uh, Martin Luther became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, this book of Romans is all about the gospel, and that's what I want to focus on today. What greater theme can anyone focus on than that which has liberated us and set us free from the guilt of our sins? And as Bunyan writes in that classic Pilgrim's Progress, set him on the way to the celestial city. There was Bunyan depicting himself as being in the city of destruction, realizing the weight of his own sin and the guilt of his own sins. And he had to flee and he cried, life, life, eternal life. And away he went to the celestial seat. I hope you've read Pilgrim's Progress. Charles Spurgeon had read it 100 times and it comes out in many of his sermons. So the book of Romans is all about the gospel. Look how Paul puts it in verses 2, 3 and 4, he speaks of the gospel promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel regards his son, is to do with his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on to say with such power and with such precision and with such assurance, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. So that's our theme, not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, I'm proud of it. I'm not going to hide my head. I'm not going to go into a corner when someone speaks about Jesus. I want to be open about it all. I'm not ashamed of it. There's no other message. There's no other way, no other saviour. And to ignore the gospel, or to be indifferent to the gospel, not to embrace the gospel, spells ruin, it spells death. I was converted to Christ at the age of 17 in 1959, so you can all calculate my age now. Oh, I think I told you earlier anyway, 77. And I haven't wearied of preaching the gospel. 
Of course, there are so many themes in Scripture, but we keep coming back to the Gospel. It's my deliverance. It's my hope. Now, I want to uh, touch on four things, and you would have the summary there. And I want you to notice how verse one, uh, first 16 commences. In chapter 1, uh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Uh, and in verse 1, as I read earlier, it's called the gospel of God. So it's not of um, uh, human origin. Its origin is, is in heaven. From all eternity, God determined to save a people from their sins by one way, that is through the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, in Paul's day, were you to ask the question, where would I look to find power? Um, in what direction? Uh, Many people would say, well, Rome is the power. The great um, city of Rome, the, the, the emperor of Rome, that's where power lies. Uh, the, the power of the empire was far-reaching. Uh, Roman roads built everywhere, even up into England and so on. Their legal system held sway. Their armies were seemingly invincible. And an enormous cost was paid by those who dared to declare Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is King or Caesar is Lord. Um, you see, to say Jesus is Lord would be to deny Caesar and it would mean death. Now I say all this because Paul is writing to the Church of Rome, the seat of power, we might say, and he's saying that there is a power, there is a power which eclipses this earthly power. There is a, 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 dy a dyna dynamic, a dunamis, as the Greek word is. Uh, uh, there is a dynamite in the gospel. It is the, it is the power of God to save. Um, and it eclipses all other powers that this earth has ever known and will ever know. Uh, Rome might build their highways. Uh, Rome might have their uh, great uh, shipping routes and commercial enterprises. Uh, Rome might defeat opposing armies and subdue foreign countries, yes, but it was powerless to transform the heart of someone. It was powerless to transform the, the soul of a person and make uh, someone who's indifferent to God a person who's a lover and worshipper of God. Uh, but the gospel can do that, and the gospel does that. Rome could not. Rome couldn't conquer the damning power of sin in a person's life. Rome couldn't conquer the power of Satan, but the gospel can, and the gospel does. I testify to that. I'm sure many of you do as well. Rome couldn't bring about a lasting peace in the life of a person alienated from God, but the gospel does. The gospel does. Rome couldn't unlock the gates of heaven and let us in, but the gospel does. Thank God the gospel does. It's the power of God to save those who believe. So Paul asserts this unequivocally. God's power operates through the gospel and the gospel alone. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because therein is the power of God. It is the power of God. Look nowhere else. Young person, older person here, look nowhere else for your security. Nowhere else for your peace. Nowhere else from a, for a secure relationship with the living God, but in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, in the death, the bloodshedding, 
the uh, triumphant resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for us, and who says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Here in this gospel. I love those words of Wesley, gospel words. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And why does he write it? Because he said, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. A life-changing encounter with the Son of God. And I was mentioning earlier that um, in the earlier service that George Whitfield, the great evangelist, who came into conflict with John Wesley a number of times on various doctrinal matters, which is a very interesting uh, thing I could uh, sidetrack, I could have, but I won't. Um, uh, he read a book by Henry Scougal um, called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. And he became a new man, George Whitfield did, and he was a great evangelist and great preacher in the 1700s. But you see, it was through the gospel. And the, life, uh, the, the gospel is really the life of God in the soul of man. God, by his grace, comes. He visits us graciously. And it's a life-changing visit. Well, then Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But point two, you've got it there in front of you. The gospel comes with universal significance. There's a lot that could be said on this. And I was pleased that Peter said a few words to me after the service today on one or two other aspects of this that I won't be able to go into. But um, it, it is, there's some, many things that could be said about this. But the point I want to make is the gospel comes with universal significance. Whoever you are, whatever your background whatever your status in life. And I want you to notice in the text there where Paul says, uh, he's not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe it. Not it's not just the power of God for salvation, full stop. It's for those who believe and entrust themselves to this saviour. But he says it's for, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And I'm aware of a lot of the discussion that's going on and films that are, have been made and, uh, and books that have been written concerning the place of the Jew in, uh, in society and uh, in God's purposes, and that would be a good sidetrack as well, but I'm not going down that road at the moment. Um, uh, I mean, does Paul mean here that the Jew should have precedence in hearing the gospel? Or is he just reflecting on the fact that the gospel came to the Jews first because Jesus himself was of Jewish extraction, he was the son of David according to the flesh and so on? And as I said, there's a lot of um, discussion about this, uh, the place of the Jew in God's purposes. You can go to Romans 11 and, uh, and look through that very carefully and you can come to certain conclusions about uh, this matter there and you can um, maybe determine which millennial view you would follow, whether you're post-pre or A, or for some of who, who may uh, discuss these eschatological matters um, using another big word. Uh, and uh, there are various people have different views concerning uh, the end times and the place of the Jew. But be all that as it may, um, it becomes very clear to me in the book of Acts, and I'm sure to you as you read it, uh, and as the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, that this gospel is the gospel for the world. It is the gospel for men and women, boys and girls, 
in Africa, India, China, uh, Europe, America, Australia, wherever, in the islands of the Pacific. It is the gospel for the world. Um, and why is it the gospel for everyone? Why is it good news for the world? Well, I'll give you the simple answer. Because this book of Romans tells us that all have sinned. Jew, Gentile, bond-free, whoever we might be, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all needy people having broken God's law in attitude, in thought, in action. We are under the just judgment of God because of our lawlessness. And the wages of sin is death. Paul says it in Romans 6.23. We are all in need of the gospel. How good we may think we be, uh, whatever our own personal righteousness might be, uh, there was a man who was a Pharisee, and you know the story in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, is it chapter 18, uh, the, the, the Pharisee and the tax gatherer? I don't want to go on the side too much here either, but that man boasted in his religious righteousness. And he, he said, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He was morally upright, but he was not accepted in God's sight. Our religious activities don't make us acceptable in God's sight. It's only the gospel. Whoever we might be, wherever we are in the world. And Paul is saying there's only one way to God. Whoever we are, wherever we find ourselves. And we could better be rid of this false notion that all gods are the same. All gods are not the same. They are different. And Jesus made the declaration very clearly that he is the way. He is the truth, he is the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. John 14, 6, Peter says something similar. Neither is there salvation in any other. Peter says in, is it Acts 2 or 3? For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's an exclusive gospel. That is why the Christian church has missions. And we go send our missionaries all over the world because we believe that there's only one way to God through the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's no good saying, well, I'll believe what suits me. What may be true to you is may be wrong to me. What may be wrong for you may be true to me. Uh, truth does not change. So no, no matter what your nationality, no matter what our, your skin color, your social background, or level of education, age, personal circumstances, there's only one gospel. It's the gospel for all. It's for the world. Actually, in the uh, parable of the, um, the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds, Jesus said, the field is the world. The field is the world. You've got a world here that you live in. What are we doing to let the world know about our Saviour, the Lord Jesus? Because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Our neighbour, over the back fence, our workmate, our school friend, whoever it might be, those in our families, because the day is coming when we will appear before the judge of all the earth and it won't matter what we've earned, it won't matter what learning we've had, it won't matter whether we are very rich people or poor people or whatever, what will matter is what we think of Christ. I have a little badge here, you can have a look at later, I've had it since the time of my conversion really, a question mark. You can't see it up the back unless you've got very good eyes. 
but it raises the greatest question and the most pointed question anyone can be asked, what do you think of Christ? And that's the big issue when the chips are down. What do we think of Christ? What's our view of the gospel? My third point, yes, the gospel is the power of God to save, the only power. It comes with universal significance to the Jew first, also to the barbarian, the Greek, to all. And uh, it reveals the righteousness of God. And here's the heart of it all. You see there in the verse um, 17, you know, there are books written on this theme. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Just that phrase. In the gospel. Now, endeavour to grasp this. It thrills me. I consider it, I read it, I mull over it, I pray it through. I've done it all my life and don't feel I've fully fathomed it, plumbed the depths of it all. But my heart thrills to it. And this was Luther's big issue, Martin Luther's big issue. He grappled with it until he understood. And his dilemma was magnified as he saw verse 18 in the Bible, you see, because he read that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godlessness or all unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in their wickedness. And Martin Luther saw that God was holy, God was just, God was righteous. And he saw that he was unrighteous. Martin Luther, monk, teacher, student of scripture, lecturing young priests in how to be good priests, and he didn't know the gospel. And he was weighed down by his sin, a load of guilt. He said, I can never achieve that standard of righteousness that God requires. What's the answer? What's the answer? And you see those two phrases there, verse 17, the righteousness of God. And then verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. The righteousness of God, the wrath of God. And it's revealed against the unrighteousness of men or the wickedness of men. And here's the big issue. I am ungodly, and my friend, so are you by nature, born in Adam. And God is righteous. He is holy. He is pure. And this is the question. Will this righteous, perfect, holy, pure God ever accept me? Have you ever asked yourself that question? On what grounds are you accepted? Why shouldn't God just wave his hand and say, condemned? My sins condemn me. Can this just wrath of God be appeased, be set aside? And the overwhelming answer of the gospel is yes, yes, yes. It's because of what God has done, not what I've done, not whatever I could do. Yes, God has provided the way. He's provided the only way. So here we are. As Paul says later in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. The whole world is guilty before God. And that's Paul's description of you and me. And I was weighed down by this as a 17-year-old. I was brought up in the church. Never missed church. Dad belted us to church, really. 
Dad wasn't a Christian. He was converted to Christ three days before he died, thank God. We went and heard good gospel preaching. In one ear and out the other for me. <laughs> I can remember going home from church one day and my mother came into the bedroom and I was standing in front of the mirror. I was about seven and I was saying these words. Omnipotent Jehovah, omnipresent Jehovah, omniscient Jehovah. The minister used those words in the service. I could remember that, but I didn't know Christ. Mum reminded me of that a lot during my life, that uh, time she came in. But I well remember it, that l uh, and as a 17-year-old, knowing the gospel yet not knowing Christ. And I was weighed down by it. And, and a man came and spoke to me. Max Sykes, Deputy Principal of Lismore High School, up the coast. And it was a Christian Endeavour meeting and I was invited along to it. Not a Christian. He came up and he said, you're new here. And I said, yes, yes. What's your name? John. John. Lovely to have you here. Would you tell all the young people what Jesus means to you? <laughs> Had nothing to say. Nothing to say. And I went home and that was the start of a deep conviction of sin and a search for Christ and forgiveness, which I thank God I found in the middle of 1959, 58 years ago, if my maths are correct. So here's Paul's description of you and me. We're under the wrath of God. Uh, here am I, empty-handed. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. And my friends, this is my story and I pray that it's yours. How can I be right with God? And Paul says there's a way. There is a the way. It's in the gospel. God has done it and he's done what we cannot do. We are helpless. We are, as the Bible says, dead in sin. We are like Lazarus in the grave. And unless we hear the voice, Lazarus, come forth, unless we hear that life-giving voice of the Son of God by his Spirit, we remain dead and in our sins. You know, it's all to do with Christ and I was preaching some weeks ago on that wonderful text in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Christ to be sin for us. Not a sinner, but he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. A lot in that. But here is our introduction to the, the great exchange, the unequal exchange he is made sin. He takes the penalty. He bears the load. He goes into, the, into outer darkness. He bears the, uh, the eternal judgment of God upon sin for me. He takes it all. He casts my sins into the depths of the sea, never to be retrieved. The Son of God, God forsaken by God. He is the Son of God. But he says, God, my Father, why have you forsaken me? I can't fathom that. I can't understand that. 
in my place condemned, he stood. And so he bears the guilt and the penalty and the load and he is pure. What did it mean to that sinless son of God to be made sin for us who knew no sin but was all so that we might be made or become or be, yes, be made the righteousness of God in him. My sin on him, his righteousness to me. Unequal exchange. If ever there's an unequal exchange, here it is. He says, I take your sin. I take the punishment. I take the forsakenness. I take the hell of punishment you deserve. I bear it and I satisfy my father. I satisfy my father's justice, his righteous requirements. And for all who trust me, for all who commit themselves to me, for all who are united to me, I credit them with my righteousness. Unequal exchange. And so the Father then looks upon you, dear Christian, and he sees you joined to Christ. See, he doesn't just see you, he sees you joined to Christ, union with Christ. And the father says, I've accepted my son. I love my son. He is mine. He's my eternal son. But here is this one. Here is that one. Joined to my son. Never to be severed from my son. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. I give to them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And no one shall pluck them from my father's hand. Secure. Therefore accepted. In Christ. In that inseverable union, I see that sinner credited with the righteousness, the holiness, the perfect obedience of my son. And so we say, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Or as old W.R. McEwen, an Irishman, used to say to me, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other rocks are sham rocks true false rocks and here's the good news here is the good news of the crucified and resurrected savior all for me for you dear christian for all who put their trust in jesus i must draw this to a close i have sometimes preached far longer <laughs> all of this becomes ours by faith by faith by implicit trust Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved were the words of Paul to a jailer at Philippi. And here we have it all confirmed by scripture. You see, it's there and this is really my final point. See, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power to save to all who believe. In the gospel, verse 17, in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed. God's way of putting us right with himself is revealed in the gospel. And then he says at the end of verse 17, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, the just, the righteous, as it is written. Now, what does that mean? It simply means the gospel is not something that is new 
to New Testament believers. As it is written, the Gospels in the Old Testament. Do you expect to see Isaiah in heaven? Well, there's only one way. It's through the Gospel. He looked forward, we look back, and we embrace the same Saviour. Do you expect to see Moses, Abraham? Yes, yes. One Gospel, one Saviour. As it is written. And as for those who believe, uh, what is faith? Our catechism says faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as is offered to us in the gospel. It begins with faith, it continues with faith and we find the gospel in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. It's the old, old story. I was saying this morning, earlier, uh, we, we sing the hymn, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. Uh, do you know that there are about 56 verses in that? Do you know? It's not in our hymn book, but it is. Look it up on Google sometime, and uh, you'll find the, uh, the wonderful gospel message goes right through. The gospel requested, tell me, tell me the old, old story. And then it's the gospel told, 20 or 30 verses on it. Then the gospel welcomed received and that's the last 15 or so verses get it have a look and one day be a good test wouldn't it eh? start the service and sing the whole thing <laughs> you won't need a sermon it's there it's there in tell me the old old story well it's the old old story it goes right back right back to genesis and it comes right through today no other way I found this photograph recently, I was looking online, um, a little bit of ancestral searching. Um, my wife, I married into uh, royalty, and my wife was Elizabeth King. And uh, I was looking up the, a little bit of the ancestry of the King family. Uh, Elizabeth Anne, her third name's Wilhelmina, she's not here so I can say it. Um, she doesn't like it. Uh, Elizabeth King. Uh, and. In, in looking it up, I came across a photograph of a tombstone. I'll just read what's on the tombstone. I don't know whether it's any part of her ancestry, but it's got, in loving memory of Ernest Waldron King. Yeah. Curran Rectory clones Ireland. Well, he must have been to do with the church over there in Ireland. He who died on duty in the SS Titanic. April the 15th, 1912, aged 28 years. You might say, why are you reading all that? Because at the bottom of the tombstone is this. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Embrace it. Love the Saviour. Give your life to him. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the righteousness provided in the gospel. And it's our prayer today that we each may receive and embrace our Lord Jesus, who is, in fact, the gospel. And we pray this in his name. Amen.